to V-Back Birth Stories, a podcast where Australians share their journey to a vaginal birth after caesarean. We are a safe haven for women to share their own V-Back journeys and through these personal experiences, educate and empower listeners. I'm your host, Mel. And I'm your host, Steph. And this is V-Back Birth Stories. Hi everyone, in today's episode we speak to midwife and calm birth educator from regional Victoria, Rosie. Rosie has had four very different birth experiences. This episode has a trigger warning as we do discuss pregnancy loss. Rosie's first birth was a medical termination at 23 weeks following a rare diagnosis her daughter was given at her 20 week scan. Rosie tells of the often unspoken guilt and complex grief that comes with this form of loss. The gravity of her experience caused her to reflect on the ways in which the system in general can treat birth and how important it is to acknowledge the emotional aspects of it, whichever form birth may take. When Rosie fell pregnant again, she chose to be looked after by a private obstetrician in a public hospital setting due to the absence of continuity of midwifery-led care in her area. Her son was born at 35 weeks in a birth that ended in a Category 1 emergency caesarean. It was discovered she had developed chorioamnionitis, an infection of the lining of the membranes. Her son needed to go to special care and Rosie was separated from him for some time. After this birth, Rosie went on to have two VBACs. The first involved an assisted delivery with forceps and her second was a precipitous labour which was documented as being just 26 minutes all up, including the birth of her placenta. Rosie, Steph and I thank you so much for sharing your very personal and unique birth experiences and your honest reflections on all of them. We know your insights from your personal and professional experience will bring comfort and knowledge to our listeners. Hi Rosie, thanks for joining us today to share your VBAC journey. Would you like to start by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, guys. So, uh, yeah, my name's Rosie and I am um, in regional Victoria. So we are on a, a farming property here and I have got three little kids. I'm a midwife by profession and, yeah, and I, and I am a calm birth educator as well, um, which I've been doing for the last few years, which has been great. So, yeah, that's sort of me, I think. So before you became a midwife and into that field have you already had your first son or what kind of brought you to that field no I actually I left school and I went to do nursing straight away and the only reason I really did nursing was because I probably had a little bit of a hunch that maybe I would end up back in the country at some stage and I grew up in the country like I was from a farming family as well and I think I probably knew that being a nurse was going to sit a little bit better in employment opportunities if, if I was to go regional again. So I did nursing first. And the other thing was um, at the time, I think I was maybe around the start of when um, nursing mid became a double degree. And I did actually get into that. And I, I decided not to do it because it was four years, whereas nursing was only three. And at the, at the age of eight, Oh, I don't think I could do four yeah. years of uni. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? It's like so an age for that age. Yeah. I was like, three years I can do, but four, no way. So I did nursing. I did a nursing grad year, but I actually did my nursing grad year at the Royal Women's in Melbourne. 
So I was very much sort of in the sphere of women and babies. Um, and then I went back and did my grad dip straight away. So I, I, I often say to people, I'm, I'm, even though I'm a registered nurse, you know, it's not my, it's not my forte. So um, yeah, I went back and did midwifery then. So I've been a midwife the whole time, basically since, since leaving uni. Mm. Did you want to take us to, I suppose, your first birth and pregnancy? We got married and we took on the family business and we bought a house and I got pregnant all in the same month. Wow. So um, it was a pretty big little um, time. Unfortunately, that pregnancy, I actually got to 20 weeks and we had a really bad or a scan that, that showed that there was a lot going on in our little girl. Um, we had um, quite a few meetings with specialists and things and then decided to, at 23 weeks, I had her, so um, an induced um, labour. So that was a really... Um, yeah, I guess that was a really, it was a really horrible experience, as you can imagine. And it really changed a lot of, I probably I'd grown up, you know, my training had been, I'd worked in the special care nursery and I'd been a midwife in tertiary hospitals where we see a lot of trauma and a lot of um, medical intervention and a lot of things that go wrong in, in birth and stuff. And I guess this probably compounded that for me. Like I was like, oh, of course it's me. Like, of course that was going to happen, you know. But I really had to sort of unpack that and work through the fact that it was so rare and that that was actually really abnormal and that that was unlikely to happen again or very unlikely to happen again and all those things. So it took a little while for me to kind of unpack that. And then I fell pregnant again reasonably quickly with my son who is turning eight next week. Even though you're making the decision to do it, it's... Yeah, it was horrific. I mean, it was nine years ago, nearly to the day a couple of weeks ago and there's still not a day that goes by where I don't think about that time you know I don't yeah. think about her or that time those decisions like we had and I look back at it you know when it first got diagnosed we got offered the termination and and I and they said well would you be opposed to it and I remember being like well no like I'm not you know I'm not religious or anything like I, I'm not opposed to that but like I want a bit more information please like I need to see some people and I need to see specialists and like the I want to know what this is all about. And, and that period was really hard. Like that was about three and a half weeks of just seeing specialists and having these appointments and having scans and making decisions and amniocentesis and all of these things that that was really harrowing. Like that was horrific, that period of decision-making. Yeah, you, re you really wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I think that the other hard thing about it is that you're trying to make a decision based on the future of that child and the future of your life. You can't, you can't always know. And then also that it's going to be a birth, like it's going to be a form of a birth and it's going to take a massive mental toll, mental and physical toll on your body. Yeah. yeah I felt really let down by the system. Like I was young and, yeah, you know, making these decisions, which, are, you know, you never want to make that decision. Like it's not a decision you're like, oh, yes, that's definitely the best decision to make. I mean, there's so many pros and cons to it. And, and I'd been a midwife, so I probably knew that birth aspect of it. Like I'd cared for women who were in the same situation that I was. I never for one minute had ever understood the gravity of that the emotional aspect of birthing a baby like that you know and I don't think and I don't think that that's unreasonable to ask midwives to understand it because not all midwives will have been through that and it's not so I'm not suggesting that that they're they're you know but I think it was a yeah. really yeah a really big eye-opener for me like I had no real follow-up no um, mental health follow-up like I remember I birthed her down in Melbourne so I 
came back home and we're three hours away from Melbourne. And I had a phone call from like a social worker, like about a week later saying like, how are you going? I'm like, well, look, I, I think I'm doing well considering, but you know, and she was like, okay, we'll make sure you reach out, you know, and that was it. Like that was the last time I heard from them. And I just, yeah, I felt, I did feel really, and I feel like the system just as a whole, I think that's when I really stopped and was like, hang on a second, this is really not like, that's, you know, it's not a way to treat. I don't know. It's the whole, the whole, I think birth is so much bigger than just a baby coming out of a vagina or having a cesarean. Like it is so much bigger than that. And it's, it, it really put that into perspective for me at that time. Yeah. It's difficult. I think, you know, social workers at the hospital and, and things like that, they try and do their best, but. And I think even if you are okay, like, I think I was okay, you know, considering what you've been through. It still doesn't like, even if you're good, even if you're like, yep, that was a hundred percent the right. Or even if, you know, it's. It was 100% the right choice for you and the family. And it's a decision that you've made, but there's still a baby there and that's yeah. you're walking out of a hospital without the baby you've made the decision to do that but it's still so emotionally complex that absolutely it's still a grief you absolutely know. absolutely and yeah there's so much complication in that grief and guilt in it when you've made the decision to go down absolutely. the path absolutely so did you ever feel that people judged you for terminating the pregnancy in terms of other people that may have continued on in the pregnancy? Did you ever feel that judgment? Yeah, definitely. With my close family and friends, I felt nothing but support. So that was great. I definitely think there's still a stigma out there. And I definitely think there's still a greater, you know, the, the wider community still have their thoughts. And I think a lot of that is religion, actually. And I and I respect that as well. That's That's their choice. But I think that there definitely is still a stigma around mm. termination and I think people you know like what we've just said before like there is so much that goes into that decision like it's not a flippant decision like it is not just a, oh yeah it's not 100% perfect let's just end it there is it is no I'm going to say no parent but certainly no mother in their right mind that is growing a human being is going to make that choice willingly you know and I think that yeah, I, I do think that there is still a stigma around it. I never, I no one ever said anything to me. You know, it's just random people like that'll put something up on Facebook or something that about termination. And it's like, oh, really? Like it, it's a really challenging, complex. Yes. Yeah. Just like you said, there's a lot that goes into that decision. There's so much to consider. There's, you know, the child's quality of life, your own life, how it could potentially affect the relationship with your partner and you know so much more everyone's situation is unique um, which I hope people I guess do understand it's a very significant and difficult decision to make yeah yeah following the termination did you ever reach a point where you felt like you were ready to move forward from that or you just sort of fell pregnant again and that propelled you forward in a way yeah I often say like obviously I, I don't regret ever falling pregnant with Freddie that is just you know that goes without saying but I remember the doctors telling me that I had to wait three months they said wait three months before you try again and I was like so literally three months to the day I was like right that's it we can start trying it and I'm really fortunate I fall pregnant easily and quickly and so I fell pregnant so it's only three months I look back at that now and I think wow that was really quick to do something like that at the time I I can look back now in hindsight nine years later and be like 
yeah, I wasn't really thinking that clearly at that point in time. All I was thinking about is just trying to get another pregnancy happening, like just trying to get this family growing that we had decided we now wanted to do. And that pregnancy was a really interesting pregnancy. I I was anxious. I don't think I had prenatal anxiety. I don't think I would have had a diagnosis. I, mean, I certainly never saw anybody in that pregnancy. And I genuinely don't think I did have a medical condition of prenatal anxiety, but I definitely was anxious. So I was super careful. You know, I never ate the soft cheese at a party. I never had that sip of wine at something. I never, you know, I, I was, which is all great and, and what I should have been doing anyway. But, you know, like I was, I was just so anal about, like I was making sure that I was having all my vitamins and, you know, really just super anal in that pregnancy up until a point. And then I got to a point I was like, okay, now I think probably after that 20 week mark, like I think that that was my, the point where I often in, in all my pregnancies, really, I've kind of gone, yeah, okay. I can breathe again now. Like I can, you know, this is all okay. So that pregnancy, the one thing I did do differently just due to my previous experience, like I went to Melbourne and had tertiary scans for all my scans. The obstetrician I was seeing at the time, he just said to me, you know, like, well, if you're worried about like, let's just do an extra scan at 16 weeks, like, let's just, and that's okay. Like, and that felt good for me. Did you get to a point where you started to enjoy the pregnancy or did you feel sort of anxious the whole way? And you mentioned that you had an obstetrician. So did you go private as well? Yeah, so I did. I actually went private from the start. And the reason for that was in the place that we decided to birth in, I felt that that was my best scenario so it's not necessarily like we all know that we you know especially as a midwife like obviously I love a midwife a midwifery led care model but that's not available where we are so I did choose to go private and with the obstetrician that I felt was um, the most suited to me and the most I was the most comfortable with so in that pregnancy you said you know did I you know feel comfortable you know sort of start to enjoy it and i i definitely did enjoy that pregnancy i was really unwell with my first pregnancy and whereas this pregnancy i wasn't at all so i was really well throughout so obviously i was really nervous before and after any scans and that sort of thing but then once we sort of got over that 20 week mark and i knew that things and you start feeling the baby moving and you kind of you get other feedback that everything's okay yeah I, I guess I relaxed I didn't relax fully and again being a midwife you know you know like how there's so much that can happen in birth and I really had to try and change my perception around that and we actually did calm birth when I was pregnant so I was about 32 34 weeks or something pregnant and we did calm birth and I I thought I was doing it for my husband so I thought he was coming a lot like I was making us go so that he could get some knowledge and some just bring it all back to normal and that everything's okay and he thought he was doing it for me because I needed just to bring everything back and reduce my anxiety and anyway we both came away from the course just being like that was so good it really just brought us back to this pregnancy and just really yeah made us focus on what we can control and and obviously all the mind element of it too so we did that (laughs) as you know, just because I clearly like to have babies in all sorts of ways. I ended up at 35, I think 35 plus four or something weeks. I woke up with this really bad abdominal pain and I just couldn't put my finger on it. And I was doing the typical midwife thing of being like, what is it? It's not a rupture. It's not this. Like, what is it? Like trying to like think why I had this awful abdominal pain. And I lay on the couch and I had a bath and I, 
you know, had a heat pack and did all these things. And my husband came in, we're on a farm and he came in to have his lunch and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not really like, you know, I don't really know what's wrong. Like, I think everything's okay. I just feel like I pulled all these muscles in my abdo. Like I feel really sore. And he's like, well, do we need to go to the doctor? And I was like, oh, no, I don't think so. And he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going for the afternoon. He was leaving the farm. He was leaving the property for the afternoon. And I was like, oh, I don't think you should do that. I think you should stick around. And he's like, well, if I can't leave, then we need to go to the doctor. I'm like, okay. So I rang the obstetrician. And he's like, come in and went into the, to the hospital just to be checked and stuff. Anyway, it ended up I had chorioamnionitis. So an infection of the lining um, of the, the membranes, essentially. And... Um, but we didn't know that at the time. And so I went in and, and everyone's like, oh, is it appendicitis? Is it, you know, choreo? Like, what are, what are we working with here? And my obstetrician was great. And he's like, I know you really want a vaginal birth. So why don't we start? Let's, instead of just going straight for a Caesar, we'll try and um, induce you. And he's like, but, you know, obviously you're 30, not even 36 weeks. There's no guarantees, you know, but I'm happy to do that. And I was like, great. Okay. Yep. Let's do that. Like plan, that's plan B. Like, let's go. How did they diagnose that? Well, they didn't just on pain and I was really tight. So they didn't have a diagnosis at that stage. Once they um, got him out, they could swab the membranes. And so um, that was how they knew. And I think there was quite a smell and things. So it was like once they burst the membrane bag. They just knew that something was not right. I had a temp. My bloods had come back by that stage. They were a bit funky. And I was in really a lot of pain. Like I was was needing morphine to help me through. Like it was, and it was a constant pain. So I knew it wasn't a labor pain. I ended up having some prostaglandin gel. But well, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever uh, way you look at it, the way it was, Freddie, now we know, but the baby, he was starting to show signs and symptoms of the infection affecting him now. So his heart rate was going up. Things were happening too that weren't ideal. So it was decided that we would go and have uh, a cesarean section. Um, And I look back at that, I was really comfortable with that decision because I'd felt like I and and my doctor and I had spoken a lot about the different steps and I felt like I was informed and I felt like I had been well cared for and I knew what was going on. Really interestingly, my husband found it really hard and it wasn't until later that I asked him. So it was actually like we call them category one seizures. So you know, the, the chimes went off in the hospital and everyone came running into the room. And I knew that that was going to happen because the in-charge nurse, who I was a colleague of mine, had said to me, we're going to call a cat one. So just so you know, like, and I was like, yep, yeah, okay, cool. Totally new. But my poor husband was sitting in the room and he had no idea. And to him, like, he just kept saying, like, in the weeks, he's like, you're in a hospital and you needed help. Like, you must have been really sick. And I was like, oh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Like, and in my head, I was like, oh, no, it wasn't like that. It was just, well, we need to get this done now. Like, so he was really traumatized by that quickness of it, the severity of it. Like he felt really out of control, I guess, and therefore reasonably traumatized by it. So that was a really interesting process, again, to reflect upon and just see how the care of what I would do normally as a midwife, like how that affects the whole whole room and yeah. how and I suppose because you would have had exposure to to how those protocols work. So it's not something to be feared by you, but it I guess it shows the distinction between that with someone that works absolutely and someone sort of coming into it and for the first time. That's right. Yeah. Do you think that he also held sort of I guess, concern for your welfare or he um, held anything from that first birth? Yeah, I don't I actually don't think with that birth. I think it was really interesting. I think he had put our little girl's birth 
when I say behind him, not in that sense of forgotten about, but I think he compartmentalised it that, you know, that was a really one-off rare thing. It wasn't going to happen again, that situation. So I think he his brain probably could have probably dealt with um, that aspect better. I think what this birth did for him, though, was show him how there are so many different elements to birth and there are so many different ways you can birth and there are so many different things that can happen and do happen positively, negatively. Yeah, I think he wasn't prepared for that. And you didn't fear the cesarean in any way? or No, um... I knew that if we needed it, I was really comfortable with that. I think, again, being a midwife in a medical system, I trained and grown up essentially in that system of, well, Caesar was really normal, you know, like, yeah, if that has to happen, that has to happen. I I was also born by Caesar. So interestingly, my mum had, had four babies and well, two of us were Caesars, two of us weren't. And like she often says, my birth was the elective Caesar. And she's like, that was my best birth out of all four. Like she was just so, so I think I grew up with that, like, oh, well, like whatever, you know, I, I wasn't fussed by, yeah. by that. Yeah. So that probably, although, yeah, obviously I wanted a vaginal birth just because, you know, we know that, you know, we heal better and all of the rest of it. I wasn't scared by the fact that we needed one and I knew why we needed one and I was okay with that. I think that's a huge factor as well in what determines the cesarean as being sort of traumatic versus, you know, a fairly positive experience. Yeah, absolutely. Did you want to take us to what happened uh, with Freddie's birth then once the Caesar had been called? I feel like it's all a bit of a blur, to be honest. I was, I remember being anxious that he was under 36 weeks. So that was a concern to me. Apart from that, after he was born, he did need to go to special care nursery. My husband went with him and I, I'm super proud of him. So he, um, I had been very like, okay, if we can do delayed cord clamping, I want skin to skin, like all of these things, like even in a Caesar. So apparently, and I didn't know this because I was getting my spinal put in and all the rest of it. But when my husband was getting his scrubs put on, he was in the, in the change room with the obstetrician and he said to the obstetrician, now Rosie's really keen, like she wants delayed cord clamping. And, and this is a cat one Caesar, you know, and she'd like this and she'd like that. And, and he just apparently turned to him and was like, yeah, sure, Ed, no worries. Like, whatever we can do, we'll do. Like, just, it's like, he was so cool about it. Like, you know, and of course, most of it went out the window because that wasn't applicable in the situation that we were in. And that I, under, I understand that. But I love that he advocated for me and said that to him. And the other thing, when Freddie did have to go up to the nursery, so Ed again was like, no, I've got to do skin to skin. I've got to do skin to skin. And so he was like very, he said, I said to the pediatrician, I want to do skin to skin. They kept saying, oh, no, we've got to put this IV in. We've got to do this. He's like, I want to do skin to skin. And so he actually had skin to skin with him and just... I think all of that stuff really helped him also feel really part of the journey, I guess, which was great. One big thing that I found really heartbreaking, and I don't know if this, I think this is a normal thing for all mums that have Caesars, but not being able to see your baby when they go to the special care nursery. Like, so I think I was about, oh, I don't know, like six hours or something until I got to see him. Oh, maybe not that long, maybe like four hours until I got to see him. And it was only at that point I said to the beautiful midwife who was looking after me overnight and I said to her, I was like, I just need a heap of drugs because I need to get in that wheelchair and I need to go across to that nursery and see him. Like I am, like I was 
out of my tree. I, I, I remember knowing that I was out of my tree. Like I just I kept saying to Ed, I need to see him. I need to see him. And Ed was like bringing photos back. And of course he was so elated because he had seen this baby and he was like, oh my God, he's amazing. And this, and look at the photos and look at the video. And I'm like, I just need to see this child. And my beautiful midwife at the time, she could see, I think that I was getting more and more and more worked up. And she actually, she's like, I know. And she just wheeled me over in the bed, which we never did in the system we were in. I only got to um, touch him. I, I didn't get to hold him, which I, in hindsight, I go, oh, I wish I had pushed for that because that, yeah, I should have. And I, that's one regret, I guess, if you could, if, if I could say a regret, but it was just all of a sudden I went, okay, he's alive. He's okay. He's being looked after. And now I can go back and I can rest. Like it was a really interesting moment again that emotional aspect of birth that I think sometimes we underestimate as you know health professionals working in the field yeah Mm, definitely do you recall what when Freddie was born what was sort of the reason for him needing to go to special care like were you given a reason yeah, no, it was definitely um, his respiratory distress. So he was he was okay, but he was only okay. And I could see that. So I had a little bit of skin to skin in theatre, like when I say a little bit, maybe a minute or two. You know, he was he was okay. And I'm speaking as a midwife here, not, you know, because obviously as a mum, I just wanted him. But as a midwife, like I could see that he was struggling a little bit. And obviously because I had had, had that infection, the, the thought was or the concern was that perhaps he would maybe become septic. So that was the, um, I guess, the concern and why they started antibiotics and did all of that. And I can, I understand their justification for that. So I was okay with that. Interestingly, sort of 24, 48 hours later, I can't remember, to be honest, exactly. I do remember his IV tissued in the middle of the night and he was only having, so he was nil by mouth for maybe the first 24 hours. And then I was expressing and he was having a little bit of breast milk and I was actually putting him to the breast as well. And I remember his IV tissued and they were worried about his blood sugars and things, but his blood sugars had all been fine. And the resident was going to come in the middle of the night and re-put in an IV. And I was like, oh, no, 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 they're not going to do that. And they're like, well, yeah, that's what needs to happen. And I was like, mm, actually, I might just change my baby into a private system now. <laughs> so like at 2 a.m. in the morning, I was like, sorry, would you mind calling the private consultant that's on because we're now changing into this? And um, they were like, oh, oh, and it was like 3 a.m. And I was like, seriously, it's not worth calling the private consultant, is it? And they're like, no. And I was like, so we don't need to put one in. I was like, so let's just leave that. And I said, let's check his sugars in three hours time. If they're fine, realistically, like, let's just take it back a step. And they were like, oh, okay. And of course, in three hours time, they were fine. And at six o'clock in the morning, they called the paid consultant. And she was like, it's fine. If that's fine, that's fine. And I was like, but that's, I, I really, I do feel sad that that I was so knowledgeable about the situation that I felt confident enough to and be like okay well we'll just go private now like who would say that normally Mm. you know no one would normally know how to work that system yeah so yeah I think I probably took a fair bit of control of the situation and I had him in the room with me a lot of the time so even though he was a special care patient I had him in the room with me for most of the time so um How did you feel physically following the cesarean in terms of pain and recovery? Yeah, I was actually fine. I I really, and I say that 
I remember thinking, wow, like that is, you know, of course I, you know, major abdominal surgery. It was, it was painful. It was sore. I was having a medication to help with the pain, but I was up and work walking the next day. I was back to, you know, Panadol only by day three. Um, I was, yeah, I actually feel like that aspect was okay. So when you were discharged, did you, I guess, have a conversation with your obstetrician about future births? And when you got home, um, how were you feeling, I guess, mentally in your postpartum? Yeah, first of all, the obstetrician, he had said to me, and I'll never forget it. (laughs) He said to me, he's like, Rosie, I had no concerns that that baby would have fit through your pelvis. He's like, you'll absolutely be able to have a VBAC next time. And I was like, oh, Okay, so that was like, I think I might have even still been in like theatre when he said that to me. So I guess I'd always, that seed was there and I never questioned that again. And as far as postnatally feeling, I felt fine. Interestingly, I think because he was born early, because he was he was a little baby because he was born early, but actually now in hindsight, he's a little person. He's a little petite, he's much more like his dad's side of the family. He's a little petite person. And he fed a lot and he had probably, he probably did have reflux, but I, again, was probably a little bit, I guess, given my knowledge, I just was holding him up and doing all the right things. He didn't need to have any medication and things, but I did feel fine in the first sort of three months postpartum physically. It probably was like the six to 12 month mark after my Caesar though, that I just felt like everything. And I think it was my core essentially, like my back started hurting and I was back playing netball and doing things too now that I look back and be like, oh, no wonder I was, you know, I did feel like longer term, my recovery was a lot harder and longer in hindsight with my Caesar than it has been with my vaginal birth. Uh, Have you given much thought about future pregnancies or? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't probably put too much thought into it, to be honest. I think I, um, Really interestingly, I tried to do a calm birth refresher when I was pregnant with my next baby. And I said to my husband, come on, let's do a calm birth refresher. He's like, oh, you can't plan birth. Like he was really disheartened by the whole scenario. And um, it was during that pregnancy that I actually became a calm birth educator. And I remember that I worked really hard at all the calm birth stuff. So in my fir- in Freddie's pregnancy, I did the calm birth course, but if I'm honest, I probably didn't work super hard at it. Like we loved the course. We got a lot out of it, but I probably didn't do the follow-up mental work that I could have, should have done. Yeah. And do you think that his approach as well, like you can't plan birth, do you think that came almost from that farming background of it just happens, it's organic, you know, yeah. the cows do it, it's, it's, this is how it happens and you can't, you can't control any part yeah, of that? Yeah, I think it was definitely like that for the first two births. Like I think yeah. that was, and, but I think due to that trauma that he carried from them, then it was just kind of like, oh, like. Oh God. Yeah. I just, I just, I don't something want it. will happen. Like it'll be a drama kind of, there'll be a drama sort of thing. Yeah, I think that was yeah. Maury's kind of, yeah. Like, I don't know. And what appealed to you about the idea of becoming a calm birth educator in terms of in addition to your midwifery yeah. practice? So I guess I just see a real gap in the market for want of a better word for just quality evidence-based education that couples can get together that are not biased from their obstetrician or the hospital they're working at or you know doing going through you know because we Mm. know like there are hospitals around with you know really high epidural rates for instance and we know that their antenatal classes talk about epidurals 
as if they're just the next thing, which is totally fine. Like I'm not, you know, you're you're here. Like I'm not against epidural at all, but it's like, hang on a second. When we start having our, bringing our bias into these classes, that, that impacts on that culture of that whole, that whole Mm. birthplace and the area that we live in. So um, in regional Vic, where we are, it's probably still sort of that a little bit behind in the mm. sense of, you know, you go privately or you go publicly. And if you've got mm. private health insurance, you go private. If you've got, if you don't, you go publicly. Like that's kind of how it's done. And that's really the only options. So mm. there's no um, birth centers. There's no midwifery led cares. There's no, you know, it is changing, but you know, there's no, there's not much option for home birth. I feel like calm birth and, and lots of other courses as well, but I feel like these independent courses like calm birth can really help couples come together, work out what's important to them and then go in more informed so they can ask those questions so they can have, you know, births that are more suited to them. And I think that that's, yeah, a really powerful thing. So that's kind of why I got into it. Yeah. Did you feel that that informed even your practice at the hospital in some uh, ways? Absolutely. Like- yeah, definitely. I worked a little bit as a midwife after I was a calm birth educator and my eyes were just open to a completely different scene. And I think I should go back about 20 steps. After I worked at the women's, I went up to Darwin and worked. And that was probably the first place where I had this glimmer of, oh, birth's really normal and not necessarily normal. Like we still had high Caesar rates. We still had high intervention rates. We had lots of inductions. We had lots of fetal death in utero. Um, we had lots of things that were really complicated and it was a really medicalized scene as from a paper point of view, but the actual ethos of the place and the, the fact, the way women got treated and things I felt was a really beautiful practice and everyone got treated the same and everyone like, you know, when a woman was going to come into birth, you know, we would have the music going, the lines were down, the light, you know, the aromatherapy was going like the, the, balls were out like all that I mean I'd come from Melbourne where it was just like bright lights and loud noises you know so it was a really I just felt like they really harnessed that normality of birth a lot more so I'd had this glimmer of that and I guess that was probably sitting in the back of my mind that this birth can be like this and then I came back down south again and I felt like I went back into a bit more of a medicalized system again and I was like oh there's a better way of doing this like we can you know we can achieve it you know not necessarily you know, as I said, I don't know, I can't remember Caesar rates and stuff compared to, but just, you know, there was a better way of birthing, like a, a happier way, a more positive way and and do some midwifery. And um, I did find it really interesting that I haven't actually been back on the wards since, um, since that, after that. And I, yeah, a part of me really wants to get back there and a part of me really doesn't. I'm, um, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think that it's, um, yeah, our system is a really interesting system and we're so lucky. We've got great care and, you know, our mortality rates, for instance, are so low. Like we are so lucky because at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, most mothers and babies that go into hospital in Australia come out with a mother and a baby, you know, like that. So we are so lucky in that regard. And I don't ever want to put down the system from a point of view of, um, you know, it is, but I think there is just so much of that emotional well-being that is really lacking and that's really hard because when you're in the system working in it you know you've only got so much to give you've only got so much time and so I just know that if I go in there as a midwife I know that I won't be fulfilled I'll be constantly being pulled into it you know and I just don't think that that's going to be good for me so yeah I I think it's um 
it's interesting that you talk about that and and I suppose burnout happens a lot with providers but I suppose yeah particularly at the moment where everyone's quite stretched and they were speaking about there being a COVID baby boom in Victoria yesterday Mm. so it's I suppose these kinds of pressures and and you're speaking about there even if a care provider wants to provide that additional support there are practicalities on the ground that make that quite difficult that's right Um, so did you want to take us then to that third pregnancy how you were tracking how you were feeling about it and if you'd given any thought to uh, the birth yeah so I absolutely wanted to be back I went and saw the same obstetrician again you know for dating scan whatever it was booking in and was like yep like be back. It's like, yep, yeah, cool. So then that wasn't really ever discussed again. Um, and, but I do, um, but again, because, you know, life is um, interesting as a midwife. Um, of course, I got the curveball at, I don't know, 26, 28 weeks, 29 weeks, somewhere there that I was a GDM. So a gestational diabetic. And my head went into a spin because I was like, oh my God, like I'm a gestation. I know now that I can't, like, and because a little bit of that midwifery brain, like, I was, oh my God, I'm not going to, he's not going to let me go over like 39 weeks. He's going to want to induce me. No, but I can't really be induced because I'm a GDM and I'm a VBAC and I'm, oh my gosh. Like I just kind of went into this panic mode and I spoke to him and we had lots of conversations about it and, and, and continued to have conversations throughout the rest of the pregnancy. And I was lucky I stayed as a, um, a diet controlled gestational diabetic my baby wasn't measuring particularly big. I did have an extra ultrasound, like, uh, uh, sorry, uh, just he scanned me a couple of times at sort of 38 and 40 weeks, I think, just to check placental function. He just wanted us to make sure that that was still okay, which I was happy with because I did really want to be back. I did end up going until, oh, I think I was 40 weeks and I went into him and he said, oh, Rosie, this is starting to look not great. Like this is starting to look like he said, your babe, like the head was still a little bit high. And he said, can I do a VE and we'll just see what's going on? Because I kept going, you know, like, I think I'm having some niggles, but like at appointments, like never going in extra. I was like, oh, I think there's something going on. Like I reckon, I reckon, I reckon. And anyway, so he did a VE, I think actually at 39 weeks and did a stretch and sweep and a VE and said long clothes, like, nothing and then you know a week or 10 days later or something did another one and was like still long and closed Rosie like I can't even get in there to do a stretch and sweep and I was like oh my god like this is like I really think that we need to start thinking about booking in for a Caesar and I cried and I was like he's like you know it's okay and I said I know it's okay I just you know and he said look let's just wait come back I think it was like in five days time. I was like, come back next Wednesday and we'll book you in for a Caesar then if nothing's happened. But okay. And just as it was on the Wednesday or the Tuesday night, the Wednesday, early hours of Wednesday morning, I started niggling. And I was like, yes, this is happening. Instead of going to my appointment with him on the Wednesday morning, he came in and assessed me and I was three centimetres. So I had promised my husband, um, being a VBAC, I had promised my husband that when I was having five minutely contractions, which is the recommendation that we would go to the hospital, that I wouldn't try and stay at home longer because he was concerned that I would try and stay at home for a very long time. And he was, he was like, that's like, my one thing is, is that you're not a midwife and you're just a patient. So you go by their rules. Like that was his kind of 
only stipulation, I guess. So when I was having five minutely contractions, I knew I wasn't in active labor yet, but I, I said to him, look, I am having five minutely contractions and I promised you that when we're having five minutely contractions, we'd go to the hospital. So we went in, I got assessed and I was three centimeters, which my obstetrician was like, I cannot believe it. That is incredible because your cervix was so not even likely to open and you're three centimeters. So he said to me, he said, look, you're nearly 41 weeks. I think it's reasonable that I do an ARM and we start essentially the induction process, even though you're going. And I look back at that now and I think, hmm. I often think what would have happened if I didn't let him do the ARM? I did let him do the ARM at the time. And I often think what would have happened? I don't know. And I, it still plays on me a little bit like what, you know, what should have I done there? That's probably a, a little point that I kind of query myself over. But I was happy with what that entailed. Like I was like, yeah, okay. ARM is that artificial rupture of membranes? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That's midwife term, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then I, I had this really long labor. And I think, you know, typical, like I was in the hospital for a long time. I had been interfered with, you know, probably all the reasons that, you know, we know why, you know, probably weren't helping. But I had this really long labour. And after about 12 hours or so, I opted for an epidural. I look back at that also, and I think I think I was actually transitional. So I was seven centimetres. At the time, I was so disappointed that I was seven centimetres because I thought I was transitional. And when he said I was seven centimeters, I just like dropped my bundle. And I now know that obviously seven centimeters, that could have been transitional and possibly was and probably was. I, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And one thing that did happen was he said to me, what about an epidural? And I cannot stress enough the power of those words. I just went, yes. And I look back at that now and go, you suggested that. And I took it up like it was so not in my birth plan and it was not what I wanted. And I did need something like I was exhausted. Like I'm not suggesting that that it was wrong necessarily, but I later found out that he that the baby was sitting really asynclitic. So sitting off to one side and, and not coming down through that pelvis evenly and nicely. So in his head, he kind of went, okay, if we're not end up with a Caesar, we're probably going to end up with forceps. That's what, where his was, head was at. So let's give her an epidural, try and let everything relax, try and get that baby into a better position so we can try and have a vaginal birth. So it was, I can see his reasoning behind what he was suggesting, but I also go on the flip side, maybe if I could have been upright and all of those sort of things, maybe that baby would have got into a better position. But of course that's hindsight. And I, I definitely don't regret having the epidural, but it is one of those times in this labor and birth that I'm like a bit was a bit sort of like, yeah, just, you know, I don't know. I guess I, I thought about it before my next one. So I did end up having forceps with that third pregnancy. So my second daughter um, and I had, yes, I had forceps and episiotomy, but, but had a vagina, you know, vaginal birth. So I was, I was wrapped. I was stoked. My husband was stoked. Like we were all just so excited and happy and, you know, breastfed straight away and having that baby with you, like there's nothing, like I'd had two babies obviously that were not with me straight away or, you know, or yeah. Um, and yeah, to have this baby straight away on your chest, like it was, there was nothing better in the whole wide world. Like I absolutely remember that moment really, really vividly. Recovery wise from that, like my um, episiotomy definitely was sore. Like I remember saying to my husband, like I would take a seize up over this like it is so sore 
but it lasted like 24, 48 hours and then was done. And then I just didn't, I like, I haven't ever felt it again since. Whereas like, obviously Caesar is a lot longer and yeah, but I remember just being like that. And I just felt so swollen and sore and, and horrible down there really for that first 48 hours. But as I said, I've been lucky and that's healed really well. And I've had no longer term complications or anything like that, which I know, I, you know, is not always the case. So did you sort of know that you wanted to have another baby at some point or, um, you know, did the birth play a role in, in any of that? And um, yeah, basically take us to, I guess, your next pregnancy and uh, how you were feeling. Yeah, I guess I've probably not ever really, I think I've never worried about whether or not to have another baby. Like, I guess that's not, I've never worried about the birth or the labor. And I, and I think that does come back to the fact that I know a lot can happen in labor and birth, but I am really trusting of the fact that most mums and babies come out. Okay. Like, you know, and I know that necessarily can be trauma, but most, and I think that that has really helped me know that, you know, the system does work for a reason like that. And that's, so I've never had any fear around, you know, as long as I can get pregnant and as long as I can carry the baby and it'll get birthed, however it gets birthed and or however it needs to be birthed. So I haven't ever, ever sort of, it was more about whether or not we wanted another child was, has always been the question, like rather than the, I'm worried about having a baby. I'm worried about the birth. I don't want to have another one. So I think that's lucky for me that that's always been the, definitely the four thing. Yeah. Of, of Do I want another child? And um, it did take us, well, when I say a little while to decide. Um, so very initially my husband was like, yeah, let's have another one, another one. Like he was after every time I have about, I feel like I come out of hospital and it's like, oh, let's have another one. Like, yep, you know, and um, not quite, not quite that soon, but, you know, like I feel like he's always been like, yeah, like, you know, and I often say, yeah, because you don't do, don't do any of the work. Exactly. Like, you know, um, so, and I know lots of mums feel the same. So, but it's always been, so I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And I don't know if I will be. And so we had these two babies and or two kids and it was really pleasant but then I decided that I did want to try and have another baby but my husband decided that he was done he was like oh I don't think so like I think that that um you know like these two like we were out of nappies and we're you know all of that stuff and it's like I don't think so and so it took us a little while to decide and then he's like yeah actually we do like that'd be good so we ended up having another baby um so yeah and then I went into that pregnancy different again because I think physically I was feeling so much better and stronger than I had in the past well there's five years difference between Freddie and and Maggie so in that five years I could I felt a bit more like I'd just been breeding and feeding in those years whereas I'd had a bit of a gap and then yeah so I felt physically really good I did get a GDM diagnosis again and the first time around I got that it was like shocked the system like I remember flipping out and feeling guilty and horrible and all those things that like oh my god I'm a gestational diabetic like oh it's because and I'm a bit overweight and like you know I was like because of that and it's because you know like oh you know it's that chocolate that I ate last night and all that sort of stuff which is just ridiculous but it is your initial reaction I've spoken to lots of women who are GDMs and they say the same thing like you just have this overriding guilt that you've done something wrong like you know yeah absolutely I would 100% agree with that yeah yeah and it's just it's ridiculous but it's just our nature yeah and so I anticipated that I'd be a GDM again and I was and that was okay I actually that was a really interesting process I think my last birth really taught me to trust myself so much more than any other birth has done and I think a lot of that's my calm birth practice as well but also just yeah I guess you know the more babies you have the more 
I guess the, the more insight you have and, and the older they get, the more insight you get about what actually matters and what doesn't matter and all of that sort of stuff. So I went into that pregnancy really quite um, headstrong and pretty determined to do it my way in a sense. Again, I saw the same obstetrician and, and he and by now he really knew me quite well. And so he was okay. And he, he used to say things like, I know you're informed. Like I, I'm happy to go with that because, you know, I'm happy to do that that's not the normal or whatever because I know that you're really informed and you understand the risks that you're taking on. So um, we used to have really good conversations um, about it. But I did, I was a GDM again. I still stayed as a diet control, but I probably pushed that. So my fasting sugars were a little bit elevated most of the time. Again, my intuition was telling me that my baby wasn't big, that I was otherwise well and healthy. So again, I went on and I think I was nearly 41 weeks again when I had had Maggie and we agreed upon the fact my obstetrician said, okay, I think it is time that we started to try and have this baby like you're 41 weeks you're a gdm your sugars haven't been great you know i think that it's reasonable and i was like yeah okay i think you're probably right like i think that that is a reasonable decision to make and so yeah i was, I was nearly i was 41 weeks so i was going to have a balloon catheter that was how i was going to be induced i'd been doing so much that pregnancy like i'd had acupuncture i'd done osteo i'd done pilates like you name it. I was spinning babies. Like I was standing my head or like, I was just, you name it. I did everything in that pregnancy from about 25 weeks to really prepare my body for birth. And I went in to have the balloon catheter. It was a Thursday night. It was actually really, you know, I hate saying this because it so goes against what I believe, but it was a really pleasant experience. Like my husband and I would drop the other kids with my mom. We knew, so we dropped them off. We went into town. I was met by my obstetrician about six o'clock at night and he did a vaginal examination. He said, oh, you know what? You're two centimetres. He's like, go home and come back in the morning and we'll rupture your membranes. But he's like, I imagine we'll see you overnight. I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, we're an hour away. You remember that? He's like, oh yeah, that's right. He's like, don't go home. He's like, stay in town. He's like, stay in hospital. I was like, oh, I don't really want to stay in hospital if I don't have to, like, you know. So we actually jumped online, booked a hotel room, went out for dinner, booked into a flash um, restaurant that I'd been busting to go to for ages, but because we live so far out of town, we'd never gone. And I was like, this is our chance. So we went out for a flash dinner where I had to like keep moving from butt cheek to butt cheek through my contractions. (laughs) And then went and stayed in a hotel where I just had the like the hot water going all night in the shower. Um, My husband slept. And, and then I was, it was six o'clock in the morning. We were meant to go 6.30. We'll have to go back to the hospital or something. And um, we went and grabbed some brekkie. So we had some toast and some coffee and stuff. And I actually couldn't finish it. I said to my husband, I'm like, we, we have to go. I can't sit here any longer. Got up to the hospital and everything sort of fizzled out a little bit. Um, my obstetrician came in about 8.30 or something. And, and at nine o'clock, he ruptured my membranes again. So he did an ARM. So he ruptured my membranes. And I was still sort of that three to four centimeter mark. And so he's like, okay, have a shower, go for a bit of a walk. Once you're in active labor, pop the monitor on. And so my midwife that I had, she's like, okay, well, while you're having a shower and going for a walk, I'm going to go and have my tea break. And so she went and had her tea break. Anyway, I was sort of just chatting away. I had a student midwife with me, a follow through, like a, you know, she was doing a follow through and my husband were just chatting and talking and I was, you know, moving through the contractions. And then 
all of a sudden I just felt this really strong, like it just became really strong all of a sudden. I said to my husband, I was like, I think I need that TENS machine. Get me that TENS machine. And so he got the TENS machine. I was like, quickly. And then I think maybe two contractions later, I started bearing down. And I said to him, I was like, I'm pushing. <laughs> you need to get the midwife. And so kind of they went into this spin because they didn't even know where the buzzer was, anything like that. And um, anyway, you know, lo and behold, our baby was born within a matter of minutes. And so that labour is documented as an 18-minute labour, a 26-minute labour all up with placenta, with third stage included. So it was a really quick, fast, yeah, birth. So what happened in your third stage? And I mean, all up, how, how long did it go for? Yeah, so I think it was a 26-minute like that's what it's documented as. I mean, obviously wow. I was in early labour earlier than that. But, yeah, it was a really quick, quick birth. My third stage happened. So I had asked for a physiological third stage, but that actually my preferences hadn't even made it to the midwife yet. So, and my obstetrician didn't make it back for the birth. So no one knew that. And at the time the midwife said, uh, my, actually my placenta came out really quickly. So my placenta was already birthed. Um, mm. And then they were like, oh, what do we do? Like, do we, do you want scent? And I was like, oh, no, what? Like, you know, I was really like, anyway, I think they ended up giving it to me. I look back at that now and be like, oh, why, why was that? Why did you even give that? But yeah, so I did, I think I did have an active third stage essentially, but my placenta was already out. It came out really quickly with, with the birth. Had you chosen the private or public this time? It was public again, but you had so, an obstetrician? Yeah, so I, okay. I birthed in the public hospital, but I, I had under private care. Okay, yeah, yeah. and had you made this the specific decision for that because you felt you wanted that that level of one on one care from the obstetrician? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think at the time when I very first fell pregnant, I just I probably wasn't. Oh, this sounds terrible, but I like I just wasn't confident in the system, and I just yeah, I guess I wanted to feel confident, and I wanted. Yeah, so and that's how I, that was that was the option that I felt most comfortable with um, mm. was going with that private obstetrician. I just wanted to take you back, Rosie, to when you were of having the breaking of the waters with your second VBAC. What was going through your mind, if anything, um, just based on your reflections, your past reflections on your first VBAC and how you felt about the ARM or breaking of the waters? I just wanted to know whether that worried you at all as, as you came into this feedback given your feelings about the first time that your borders were broken I just wanted to know what your headspace was like with regards to the plan to break your waters for the second time yeah so mm. I remember thinking I think what happened though was we were going down the induction path so it's so when you've kind of prepped yourself that that's what's going to happen even when your body decides something different, it's really hard to go, oh, hang on a second. Let's just stop and reassess what's happening here. So the fact that he was like, okay, you don't need it. You don't need the balloon because obviously it would just fall out. But tomorrow come back and have your waters broken because that was the plan. Like the plan was then the next morning, like I'd have the balloon overnight and then the next morning I would have the rupture of membranes. And so I think it's just so hard in that time to be like, oh, hang on a second, but why do I need that? And so I, I do look back at that birth as well and be like, that birth happened really quickly and probably too quickly. I was quite shocked afterwards and I was kind of out of it. Like I was really, yeah, I, it took me probably 10 to 20 minutes to actually kind of really focus, look at my baby and really focus on my baby. 
both my baby and I were both just like eyes closed, really, you know, just taking in, like having a few breaths after the birth because we were really shocked, both of us. And so I do look back and go, yeah, I didn't need that ARM. Like I didn't need that intervention at all. Like there was no, my body was clearly in labour and it was clearly going to do what it needed to do. I don't have regret in it in the sense that it all ended up panning out okay and, and you know, I, I don't feel it changed. Whereas in that first VBAC, I do think it probably prolonged maybe that labour and changed the medicalization of it. Like I think if I had been able to labour a little bit longer in that first VBAC, you know, maybe a bit more naturally and probably stayed home. Like, and in hindsight, I probably should have stayed home longer. I just, I was really trying to do the right thing. I was really trying to be keep my husband happy, keep everyone, you know, keep everyone happy. So, but yeah, I think that's probably the main difference why I don't sort of think about it in the second VBAC as opposed to that first VBAC. But absolutely, I look back and be like, why? Why did I have, like, why did that? Like, that was just because that's what was going to happen, not because, you know, because there was actually a need for it. And I also meant to ask this a bit earlier as well about uterine rupture. What were your feelings about that? Was that ever on your mind? I guess that was absolutely spoken about because, again, my husband, not being a midwife, he was like, okay, so what are the risks of having a baby? Because he knew that it was different, you know, after having a Caesar. So he, knew, he he had enough knowledge to know that there was, you know, a difference. But he was like, so what is the difference? I was like, well, this is, you know, this is one of the major concerns is a rupture of uterus. I actually got a whole heap of information. Like I actually went and sourced really good quality, you know, facts and figures, which I do a lot anyway for myself, but I did it. I, I did it for me because honestly, I didn't know either the facts and figures. Like I was a midwife and I'd be, I would often sprout to people. And I think it's something we do so poorly as an industry. You know, we'll say, oh, it's an increased risk of uterine rupture. Well, like, okay, give me a bit more information. Like there's an increased risk of uterine rupture with induction too. Like we don't talk about that though, you know, like it's so we just throw these things out, these statements that are really ambiguous. And so I went and got the, the stats and figures and I was like, oh, Okay. And to me, the stats were okay. I was willing to go with those stats and I, and I never once doubted that at all in that. So I was never, ever concerned about rupture. My husband was really, I was really like, he was on the same page as me. So he wasn't ever concerned about that. You take it into consideration, don't you? But it, it wasn't a, a major concern. And my care provider was really supportive of me having a VBAC. So in this birth, what was the crucial difference between that and your previous, the VBAC, the first VBAC? I think my headspace, I have no doubt about it. And the physical preparation that I did do, like, as I said, yeah. like I was doing like acupuncture I was seeing an osteo that I had never seen an osteo before and I really like I now rave about them because I'm like they just that's incredible like what they yeah I just think that they're I really like their profession I was doing Pilates so as I said like I just had never felt stronger and fitter and better and healthier Mm. than in that pregnancy which I think all helps but I think ultimately that mind area was where I just was so strong and Mm. so confident did you have any tears with this birth? Previously, you said you ended up with the episiotomy. What happened this time around? Yeah, so this time around, this baby was actually born like compound. So it was, she had her little hand up against her face. Um, <gasps> oh. So I did have a little tear. Definitely, again, it was really sore. And actually, I remember thinking 
And maybe it's just the mind playing tricks. But I do remember thinking, oh, this is worse than the episiotomy. Um, So it was a really, yeah, it was really sore and tended to sit on for like a week. But again, once it healed up, it wasn't as sore, but it lasted longer. And once it healed up, I haven't, I've been really lucky again and haven't had any issues with it long term. So what about in terms of your pelvic floor following that vaginal birth? If you don't mind sort of talking about longer term, have you had any issues there? Look, I haven't, as in I don't wet myself, which is obviously the first thing that people think about with pelvic floor or incontinence, that kind of stuff. So I don't, I don't have any incontinence. But I definitely, it's definitely changed. And I I don't think I've got any prolapse symptoms. I do learn a lot through a friend who has an online, well, she's got a little program and I I I think, oh, maybe I do have something or maybe that, you know, because you're just sort of like, (laughs) oh, I don't know, like that's just normal, isn't it? Or whatever. So sometimes I do question, you know, whether there's things going on down there, but I, I genuinely believe that I'm, yeah, I'm actually pretty okay. And very initially after that third, like after that last birth, that quick birth, I do remember having some, not necessarily incontinence, but just some, you know, like, oh gosh, urgency, I guess you would call it. Um, And that feeling of, oh gosh, is that falling out or whatever? But that certainly after the six week mark, it it certainly has healed up. So Mm. postpartum, like in each of your birth experiences, how would you compare them all? And what do you think were the main factors that affected those things I would love to say so my last baby postpartum was absolutely the best so but I think an element of that was her birth an element of that was physically I was the best I'd been her birth like I didn't labor for very long so I wasn't exhausted I didn't miss a night of sleep you know all of that sort of stuff that really plays into things so that was again she was a big healthy baby so she you know fed well and all of that sort of stuff and de- so definitely that postpartum was great. The only thing that did happen was when she was 10 days of age, she got meningitis. And so we ended up back in hospital for oh, five days or something with lots of antibiotics, lots of stress. I didn't sleep for about 36 hours straight. I actually remember dropping her, which is horrific because I just held onto her the whole time. And I remember like dozing off and like her falling. I caught her obviously, but you know, like, and I just remember being like to my husband, oh my God, you need to take her. He's like, finally, because he'd been sitting there the whole time being like, give it to me, give it to me. So that was a real hiccup in our postpartum. Had I not had that hands down, that was absolutely the best postpartum, like physically recovering. I got mastitis a couple of times in maybe once at the start of that postpartum, but not again. Whereas in my other births, other babies postpartum, I'd have heaps of mastitis, which, yeah, I've learned some new things again. So I don't know. I think a lot of it is just due to learnings as opposed to necessarily anything in particular. I've been lucky. I've been able to breastfeed all my babies relatively as easy as breastfeeding can be. It's always hard, isn't it? But, you know, as straightforward as it could be. So in terms of advice that you would give other women uh, who are attempting uh, VBAC or who have just had a cesarean and are listening, what, what kinds of advice would you have to offer them after your experiences? I think, I mean, number one is decide, well, this is number one and two sort of together, deciding what you want. So and, and really being confident in that decision. Like, so if you're worried about it, like get the facts and figures, like don't just be like, oh, it's an increase of oh, this is, you know, don't sort of do that. I think we do so much of that middle grounding sort of just, oh, there's this risk and there's that risk and, you know, but actually get the facts, kind of make a decision and kind of go with it and be confident in that decision. 
if you are wanting a VBAC, so if that is something that you like, yeah, that is, then you must find a provider that's supportive. And that can be really challenging because most providers will say that they're supportive. Most providers will be like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But you get to 36 weeks and they start putting that little bit of fear in. They start saying, oh, the baby's looking big or this or, you know, things just start happening that, you know, so like asking questions like, will the care provider let you go overdue? Like how would they induce you if you needed to be induced? You know, what are they willing to do? Like some obstetricians are still not prepared to use, you know, Sintocin on, on VBACs. You know, like actually asking those really hard and far, you know, like what happens if you go overdue? What happens if you're, a, you know, a gestational diabetic, for instance, like because lots of us are, you know, or if you've got a previous known asterisk, I guess, against you, you know, like, you know, really chatting about that and saying, what if, what if, what if? Because, you know, I think we've got to really, yeah, try and get that, that care provider to be really, really supportive. And then, of course, just that physical preparation. Like I really rate, really rate seeing an osteopath I I love acupuncture but I know that that's not for everyone but I do love it but I think seeing an osteopath or even just a physio not only but even a physio or a chiropractor um, osteo is my choice but I think you know any of those sort of modalities that can just try and help align and and make sure all the ligaments are not too tight and make sure you know everything's as as good as it can be to try and achieve what you're achieving. For women that are on the VBAC journey, you know, having the VBAC birth, it's all about having a redemptive birth experience. And it's really about healing for a lot of those women. In your situation and with your first birth and having that loss, how do you feel other women who may have experienced other types of losses or a medical termination as well. What advice, I suppose, would you have to move on and and grieve and heal from that process? Yeah, I really think, again, finding that care provider once you are into that next pregnancy, finding that care provider that is supportive of you and that aligns with you. It doesn't even, not even necessarily supportive in a emotional, again, just aligns with you so that you feel comfortable with them, like so that you feel confident with them and comfortable. And then, you know, I think, I think there is so much, you know, emotional work that has to be done when we have any form of trauma, probably in life realistically, but obviously here we're talking about in birth. I think, there is just, and knowing that it's okay to, to have those feelings, like it's really hard to, to open up about guilt around a termination or guilt around, you know, having a cesarean when you'd planned or, you know, and often women feel like I speak to women and they're like, oh, I just, I really wanted, you know, a vaginal birth and I ended up with a season. I feel like such a failure. And when you unpack that, it's not about the fact that they've had their body cut open to birth their baby. Like that actually is not the the bit that concerns them it's that the fact that they'd you know spoken up to their husband they'd really pushed it with their husband and their partner then is like well you you know like they feel like they've failed all those around them that they'd spoken up this big game to essentially and and it had been you know not what they had anticipated and it like that's just a matter of society talking about things and talking about those feelings and saying it's actually normal it's normal Mm -hmm. to have to grieve that that change or you know it's normal and it's okay to feel a little bit guilty about things like we shouldn't and but the more people that talk about the fact that you felt guilty and I felt guilty and you know all of a sudden oh we're normal you know mm. like that's a normal emotion human to that, response that time. yeah 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 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you said like in terms of cesareans, it's not often the fact that you were cut open or can be for some people that can be the traumatic aspect. But for a lot of women we speak to, it can be about being separated from their baby in recovery, for example, or not being able to breastfeed or or something that went on in the labor in the lead up to the surgery. So yeah, it's funny how how much you know, how little that meaning of the incision is actually related to the, the way that, that things unfold. But when you like debrief a woman after a Caesar, like often it actually comes back to the fact that they were told they have to have a Caesar. Like just that simple statement from their care provider just saying, okay, we are going to take you for a cesarean now, like because of X, Y, Z, but no, you know, like it's just that, and often it's that powerlessness. And then all of a sudden it just goes downhill. Like everything just goes downhill. Their emotional state there, you know, their physical state, everything just, and, and it plummets. And then their perception of their actual birth, because by the time they've got down to theater, they're already in a bad headspace. You know, their baby's born and they're in this terrible, you know, perception around, around the state, you know, and it, it's yeah. a huge issue in our system. It's a, you know, there's a lot a lot to discuss and unpack and think about as care providers. And I think there's a key in your story where you said that you weren't concerned about your initial cesarean. The real key in that is that you had the background knowledge and that you, you had the insider sort of experience, I guess, of, of that protocol. And um, oftentimes women, if it's the first birth and they're going in for a Caesar, they don't have that if, if they don't right. work, work in the field. So there is a real key, I guess, there's a, that's a big hint as to what can help in those situations. Just wanted to say thank you, Rosie, for reaching out to us to share your story. Um, I think another key takeaway as well from your story is however you are feeling about your birth, it's okay to be feeling it, whether it's guilt or disappointment, um, like we are human. And um, it's also feedback that we do get a lot on the podcast as well. So many women identify with the feelings expressed by our guests. So thank you for bringing light to that as well in your episode. And um, I think it's really important. Absolutely. It's great what you guys are doing because you've, you know, yeah, it's a really big gap in the market, VBAC, you know, like it's a really, unless you know about it, you sort of don't know about it. And thank you for what you're doing as well with Calm Birth and just trying to make more positive birth experiences for couples out there in your area. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this VBAC story. If you like the show, please subscribe and feel free to leave a review. If you would like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for VBAC Birth Stories. If you have a question or you'd like to express interest in sharing your personal story, email us at vbacbirthstories at gmail.com. VBAC Birth Stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences. Please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, please always speak to your healthcare provider.